And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even. Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the part if you plan on staying up today. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, player. She. Welcome to Anything is Possible! The Boston Celtics Podcast here on The Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And you are about to listen to Jay and I talking with fans live on The Athletic app, breaking down the Celtics' loss to the Knicks in the first game of the season. Well, thank you for uh, for finally getting me on stage because we got a lot to talk about. I mean, what a wild way to start the the Celtics season in a double overtime thriller that was probably just the craziest overtime I've seen in a while. Just with the shot making, the crazy plays, the just nonsense that was going on. Just a what a a, a thriller from basically start to finish. Wild stuff there. Yeah, I mean. Let's let's start with where everything went wrong because I guess we'll we'll start with the doom first. There there was a lot of there was a lot of good to talk about, right? Like we're Jaylen not going to talk about a twenty two point first quarter from Jalen Brown. Like if we're gonna, we, we, do will, this we from- will definitely we will definitely talk about that. But I, I mean, the Celtics lost, so let, let's start where it went wrong. There, a few things stood out to me. The, the second quarter, just sloppy play. It was. Some so a bunch of turnovers. The Knicks were just out in transition. Obi Toppin was slamming home dunks. RJ Barrett was slamming home dunks. During that stretch, I felt like the Celtics transition defense was awful. I felt like their half court offense was awful, and it was just ugly. Then then I mean Tatum, where Tatum? I did not expect that opening night out of Tatum. That was. No bueno. Two for 15 from three. No, it was not great from Jason Tatum uh, at all, especially late. It seemed like when they really needed him to get a bucket. He did finally get into the lane and had that like finger roll, I think, to put them ahead in the second overtime. But other than that, not a lot of great moments of offense uh, for Tatum. Yeah, the second and third quarter was, was tough. It felt like their struggles... Like they came out firing and knocking down all sorts of threes in the first quarter. And then in the second quarter, it really, uh, the shots weren't falling and then they did not get back on defense and, and the Knicks got out in transition. And it feels like, um, so that's what the Knicks did to take the lead in the, in the first half. And then in the third quarter, it felt like the Knicks kind of figured out the all switching, um, 
lineup and just basically were like, we're going to let Julius Randle go one-on-one against Grant Williams a bunch. And I think Grant Williams kind of got the surprise start there, ended up playing 30, 31 minutes. Not something I think uh, anyone really expected. I thought Grant played relatively well, especially given his three threes uh, late, but Grant Williams just can't stop uh, Julius Randle whatsoever. And it it felt like the the adjustment to switch to just kind of leaving Robert Williams on Julius Randle, uh, it didn't really happen in, until the fourth. And um, uh, even then, kind of just leaving Rob on uh, Julius Randle led to some defensive miscues because then they just went under Evan Fournier like 18 times and he just buried threes from deep. So some defensive sloppiness from the C's uh, in the second half. Yeah, before we go out, I just want to tell those who just hopped into the the room, this is a new tool that The Athletic has. You guys can actually raise your hands in the audience and we'll be able to answer questions. We'll be able to hear your reactions. I think it's one of the coolest tools our company has ever come out with. I think it's going to be a total game changer for our podcast, for every podcast. And I'm super excited about it. So if, if you are in the audience, feel free to use the raise hand function. Um, we'll bring in Chris M right now, just, just as a, a little, little guinea pig here, Chris, what do you got for us, man? Hey guys. So I know this is kind of fast forwarding to the end of the game, but Tatum obviously had a cold night and I just want to know, it seems like last minute shots like Jalen, what is Jalen doing? Not getting the final shot there. Um, Tatum kind of went ISO and it, it obviously just didn't work. I'm just wondering what Jalen Brown has to do to kind of get the ball in his hands in the final minutes. Yeah. So I thought. So I I wasn't actually that appalled by by the shot uh, because the Celtics had a chance for the last shot. The the score was tied. The number one objective at that point should be to leave no time on the clock. And so I'm not going to sit here and bash Jason Tatum, who's hit a number of big shots for the Celtics over the years for wanting the ball in his hands, for taking what actually it wasn't like a horrible, horrible look, even though. He didn't really come anywhere close. Uh, I do think there's obviously an argument that that Jalen should have the ball in his hands at that moment, especially given how hot he was, especially given you know the the magnitude of the game he had, and on conversely, the the suspect game that Jason Tatum had. But I'm I'm just not going to sit here on in game one and bash Jason Tatum, the Celtics' best player, for taking the biggest shot of the game. Um, I, I don't think that's fair to him. I don't think it's fair to Ime Udoka. And and maybe I'm being too too lenient on that. Maybe they should have given Jalen the ball at all costs. But over the years, to me, Jason has been the better one-on-one shot creator and tough shot maker. And and so I in that situation, he would normally be my choice to have the ball in his hands. So the fact that in game one, it was him. I don't hate it, even though obviously Jalen was having a much, much better game. Packer, do you have different thoughts on that? No, I was generally going to agree with you. I think like you, Jason Tatum has earned the right to take the last shot, even if he's been having a bad night. I like, I think it's not like Jason Tatum was ball dominant for the entire um, end of the fourth quarter or overtimes like Jalen got his uh, opportunities in the fourth. They felt like they were really loaded up to him. And I was actually impressed 
with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's playmaking. I think they made a lot of the right passes and were able to find open guys. Uh, just especially late and then a couple times in that overtime or both overtimes, guys didn't knock down shots. Um, and so, I don't know. Jason Tatum, if he's the best player in your team, even if he's not having a great night, I have no problem with him taking the last shot uh, at the end of the game. It's just like the, the, he, the more egregious decision to me was I think it was in the double overtime and Tatum had a he drew a double team, drew, went to the paint, drew a double team and threw up like an off balance runner from the lane. And he had Jalen wide open. And that's the one he's got to pass. That's the one where they've got to work together. That's the one where you've got to get an easier, better shot. And I think by that point, Tatum was frustrated. I think by that point, Tatum, what he said was, I think I was just trying to get one to go, which, I mean, that's, that's not a great excuse for missing the <laughs> super hot all-star who's wide open on the perimeter. But but to me, like that was the one rather than the one at the end of regulation, which is or the one at the end of overtime, which is the one everyone points to because it was obviously a high leverage shot, obviously at the end of the, the game clock. Um, but like those were the moments to me that, that Tatum needs to get better at. And and that's like when, when you poke holes in his game and obviously he's a great player, but when you poke holes in his game, it's that sometimes he does get tunnel vision to the hoop. And sometimes he does miss guys. And I think he's gotten a lot better at that. I think throughout the game, he did a pretty good job of managing those situations. But there were a couple of times, especially when Jalen Brown is that hot, find him. When he's open, hit him. And and so that that that's the one I had the, the biggest issue with. Uh, we'll bring in Kyle. Kyle's got another question for us, it looks like. Kyle, you're out here, man. How are you? Yo, what's going on, man? Uh, just a quick uh, thought on my end. I, I feel like the, you know, not, I guess this is called overreactions to last night's game, but like not to super overreact, but like, I feel like power forward has been a glaring need for us for a couple of years now. And like, I know Al would help there, but like, it's really discouraging as a fan to see Grant Williams, like continue to get like 30 minutes you know, in, in games and just like, he's just not athletic and, and he just has a limit, right? Like, uh, he just has a ceiling and like, ideally he's like, you know, seventh, eighth guy on your, on your squad and he's getting like 15, 20 minutes. But I don't know if there's any, anyone out there that, that you look at on the free agent market or trade market or, you know, potentially like, I don't know if Hernan Gomez or Jabari are going to get looks at the four, but it's just rough. I was there last night. It's it's just rough. Like every single time Randall got the ball, like you knew he was going straight into Grant's chest. And granted, like Randall's awesome and and whatever, but like just there's no athleticism at the four, and there's no toughness when Tatum's there. That you know, I I don't know. I feel like that hole is going to haunt them all year. Yeah, I, I think everything will look a lot better once Al Horford's there because Al Horford is obviously, like, maybe their best playmaker. <laughs> he's he's a, he's a much better shooter than Grant Williams. He's more of a threat to drive a closeout. And I think, I mean, in a regular game, when Al Horford is available, he's going to be the one starting at power forward. He's going to be the one earning the bulk of the minutes. He's going to be the one on Julius Randle, and I think that's going to be a, a much tougher matchup for Julius Randle. The, the, 
the difficult part of that is like that should be a matchup that Grant Williams is good at. He's big. He's physical. He's smart. Like no, no, he's too slim now. He slimmed down too much. I, I mean, that's overrated. He's he's still a big <laughs> dude. It's, it's not like he became this scrawny guy all of a sudden. Uh, and and it's funny people are complaining about Grant after he went six for nine after he had a bunch of big three pointers. I loved it, Kyle. Thank you for course. the overreaction. It, it, I think Kyle is a like had to be in person, and so he, he's allowed to overreact more. But the trade Grant Williams or get rid of Grant Williams after one game is the exact kind of over, overreactions I want to have in our uh, uh, athletic post games. I thought the the interesting thing on defense was like. They were kind of just conceding that and just allowing basically the Knicks to attack Grant Williams. And I do think Al Horford is going to be much better in a switch everything defense where you can kind of he's uh, I think he's going to be a little bit better on the perimeter and just be a little bit stronger against guys like Julius Randle. And I understand why. Ime is not going to like change his entire defensive scheme just based on personnel in game one. Like it's game one of the regular season. So if the plan is to do a bunch of switching on defense, you're going to try to implement that no matter who's in the lineup. It just felt like, yeah, uh, Julius Randle could punish uh, Grant. But then even like if the Knicks wanted to, they could get Kemba on a switch against uh, Grant or Derek Rose. It did feel like they were attacking him. Um and it, uh, the, like the switch late to just kind of switching only one through four and keeping Robert Williams on uh, Julius Randle, I thought was like Robert Williams did a, a damn good job defending him. It just left them also vulnerable on the offensive glass. I think we saw like the switching leaves you pretty vulnerable. And if Mitchell Robinson was like fully healthy, I thought he could have done a lot more damage. But I'm just yeah, curious, it, like how how often they're de- like, is this their base defense? Is switching everything one through five going to be the Celtics base defense moving forward? I don't. I don't think it always will be. Uh, obviously, Udoka has used it a lot so far. I. I think it. It hurt them badly, especially at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Like Derrick Rose, got Robert Williams on the switch and hit a three. Then Derrick Rose got Robert Williams on a switch, got another wide open three, missed it. But whoever the big man was got, was grappling with Romeo Langford down low, got, beat him on the glass, got a put back. Um, and then the the next play, the Celtics, they they did the same thing. They were trying to get Robert Williams on Derrick Rose again, and, and New York had an alley-oop bucket. And it's like three plays in a row, they're trying to use Robert Williams in a way he's never really been used before. And I get it. it it's it's game one. Um, you're still learning things. Like, you're okay with sacrificing possessions early in the season to to learn something that they think Robert Williams can be good at long term that this team can be good at long term but I'm with you the the there were times when it was like really bad and I thought the, the entire every Evan Fournier bucket for the most part was just the Celtics screwed up they screwed up against simple actions and left Evan Fournier the hottest shooter in the gym other than Jalen Brown wide open and he killed them and he killed them because they botched coverages over and over again and didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. And so stuff like that has to get cleaned up. Like I said, it's game one. Um, the re- the self- fact of the matter is they had absolutely zero business even being into overtime. They scored 10 points in the final 26 seconds, uh, which one was like a ridiculous Jalen three from what? Like 35 feet and then 
Fournier, the man of the hour, completely messes up to get that Marcus Smart three at the end. It was kind of a, an absurd finish. And then he even had wackiness in overtime with Jalen missing like the wide open dunk. It was just kind of a, a crazy game. Uh, like, and I do think they kind of teetered out towards the end, but you know me, I'm going to be positive. Like, I didn't know Jalen Brown was necessarily capable of this. It feels like his three point shooting has gotten a lot better and he's shooting with confidence. But the thing that really stood out to me about Jalen was his handles are so much better with him just like being able to dribble through guys, dribble around his back, even his playmaking and being able to find guys. I thought the offense looked like phenomenal, especially in the first quarter. They got back to it sometimes like in the third quarter and then I guess uh, late. But Jalen Brown, it was uh, insane. And his handle and his playmaking was just at a level I just didn't think was possible. And it's even more impressive coming off not practicing for 10 days, having trouble breathing uh, due to COVID related stuff. And just basically he just meditated his way, manifested uh, a 40 point performance, which is kind of what. Yeah, I, I thought it really stood out that they the amount that they put the ball in his hands as a primary initiator of offense. That has I did not anticipate point Jalen. He's been used. Yeah. And so so that's something to look at moving forward. That's something that I thought was very promising in game one. Um, and he, obviously he's done a little bit of that in the past, especially last season. But with Kemba, with Jason Tatum using up a lot of possessions, like he was often the third option even last year when he was an all-star. So I, I just think using him in that way, if, if he can be that good all the time, and he won't be 46 points good all the time, but if he can use possessions wisely and continue to break down a defense and get the right get the ball into the right guy's hands, like that's that's dangerous. And and that could change things for the Celtics. And I think that like his performance was really promising that that maybe there's another level to his game that that we didn't see last year. Maybe there is another jump left for Jalen Brown. Teddy G, we've got a, a call in from you. You are now on the stage what's up teddy oh uh what's up guys i was just wondering basically when richardson gets back whose minutes is he gonna get like out of him romeo and uh neesmith yeah i think that is one of the questions that could take a little while for email doka to answer He's not I, taking I, Romeo's minutes. He's not taking uh, 60% from three Romeo Langford knocking down shots left and right. Not on my watch. Romeo had a very nice debut. Um, he played great. Neesmith missed some shots. Pritchard missed some shots. They'll, they'll need to play better. Um, but I don't think that's a race that's been won yet. Like I, I don't think between those three guys, anyone has really solidified themselves as the obvious choice there. I do think that when Richardson gets back, he'll play a significant amount of minutes. I do think Schroeder will play a significant amount of minutes. Um, he's just dynamic, and the Celtics need that type of creator. But, yeah, my my guess would be that he probably takes minutes from Neesmith at this point because Lankford's playing better than him right now. But I, I do trust Neesmith shooting still more than I trust Lankford shooting. So we'll see how, how Lankford shooting pick continues and whether he can, you know, continue to be 
um, as as consistent with that as he has been. I I thought he had some bad moments yesterday too. Even though obviously he started great with the the threes and the buckets. Um, he had he three had turnovers. Yeah, the one turnover where he just threw it backcourt. Uh, I, I just thought he was sloppy with the ball at times and and didn't always look crisp. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that that works out. But I, I do think when when Richardson and, and Horford are, are available, like it's a pretty deep team. I, I was surprised. How, were you surprised that Cantor didn't play at all, Packard, especially with Horford out? Yeah, no, I was kind of just uh, shocked to see Grant out there so much. And then I, I was kind of surprised to not see Cantor just because it felt like they needed some backup five minutes. It's interesting that we've talked about how deep this team is uh, going to be and how much depth is uh, really a strength of theirs the entire year. And then they start uh, basically the first game of the season without two of their main guys. Like, I think it was kind of limiting to the Ime down the stretch where he had to close with Schroeder just because it kind of gave them a little bit more uh, offense dynamically and it and made it so you couldn't really target Grant Williams uh, down the stretch. But I do think Schroeder messed up uh, defensively a couple times. And I think when I don't, I think probably Horford would be someone who would be the fifth guy in the kind of the closing lineup uh, when he gets back. And he's already, he's been listed as questionable for the game against the Raptors, but maybe you put Richardson out there. If you want a, a kind of a stronger defensive lineup, I do think, uh, Udoko was a little bit limited in, in what kind of lineups he could close with just because uh, for all the depth they had, he wasn't about to turn to Langford, Neesmith, or Pritchard uh, kind of in those closing moments. It was basically either the starters or um, Dennis in for Grant. Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Gio Parfum, a long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, clary sage, and patchouli, which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Okay, I'm going to pull that back a little bit to something you said, which is that Grant Williams got taken off the court so that the other team wouldn't target him. If Grant Williams is being targeted on defense, should Grant Williams be on the court? <laughs> like, like should he play? Who are, who's going to like? But what else are you going to do? Like, who who are you going to play in his place? I think this comes like they are pretty. Uh, they don't have a lot of power forward options, and so they could go small and then try to put, I guess, Neesmith or Romeo in there. Um, but I don't know necessarily what the option is, especially against the Knicks, if they're going to have two bigs, 
and you're going to keep Robert Williams, I guess, on Julius Randle. Then you put Neesmith like they're doing, having to do a lot of scram switching to try and like get the guards off Mitchell Robinson in the paint. Like it's, it's kind of interesting with the switch everything lineups. I think the Knicks are a tough matchup in this because they have Randall and then another big guy. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what the solution is. Like, ideally, you have Al Horford in there in the grant spot, but they, he wasn't available. So if Al Horford's not available, I don't know who you turn to to play power forward uh, against the Knicks other than Grant. Yeah, I mean, they could have they could have gone smaller more often. They could have used Romeo Langford for, for more minutes. They could have used Aaron Neesmith for more minutes. They could have used Peyton Pritchard for more minutes. Um, I don't know. And, I, and I, I thought Grant was fine. Like, obviously, Randall took advantage of him a little bit. Um but my point is, if he is a defensive liability, like then he can't be out there because he's not going to do enough else for you. And and obviously, Udoka came to that conclusion late in the game and used Schroeder for the overtime periods. But that's just something to look look forward to with Grant. Like he has to be a very good defender. He has to be someone who can switch on to different types of players. He has to be someone who can be physical enough to take on guys like Julius Randle and at least make things difficult for them. And I think some of the buckets, like I saw, um, I think Nate Duncan like tweeted the the one where Randle went by Grant Williams and literally Robert Williams was just like standing across the lane doing nothing, like didn't didn't try to help out, didn't try to contest. Uh, and so, so the Celtics' help defense needed to be better. It wasn't always all on Grant Williams, but – but he needs to be a high-level defender to to earn minutes, especially once Al Horford gets back and once Al Horford is playing a lot of those minutes. Uh, one, one thing that I thought stood out to me, even though the Celtics shot 21 of 57 from threes, and both those numbers are pretty good, like 37% on, on high volume, I thought that the Knicks, and the Knicks are a very good defense, at least they were last season. They're, they have a lot of length. They have a lot of, of big, bulky players uh, who can cover a lot of ground. But I just felt like they really, really, really loaded up the paint on Tatum and Brown and forced them to to feed other guys. And some sometimes, you know, Romeo Langford was successful or Grant Williams was successful hitting threes. But I, I just felt like there were times when the lack of external shooting was very obvious and made things very difficult on Tatum and Brown. And for the most part, like they made the right play and, and Grant had a good game and Grant went three for five. And if he always shoots three for five, that's fine. But I think teams will live with him shooting three pointers uh, as long as it takes the ball out of Tatum and Brown's hands. So Horford will help there. Uh, I, I don't know if that will always be like a huge, huge issue. But I, I did think the half court offense was ugly, ugly, ugly at times and and just kind of cramped, it felt like to me. Yeah, I think it's interesting that like it it did didn't look great, but I also like I know classic me playing the optimist card again. They did have 34 assists on 48 made baskets, and I thought Jalen and Jason did a good job of at least when they got into the paint drawing attention and then the Celtics did a good job of kind of passing the ball around the perimeter. I I thought Tatum and Brown like just we're, we're solid in their playmaking. And it's going to be interesting to see if like other teams kind of are just begging them to shoot. And if the, the three point volume is, is up there because um, 
Like it, it's going to come down to whether or not like the kind of those role players can make shots. And so it's like Romeo being able to hit shots uh, is a good thing, but then you also, you're going to need Pritchard and Neesmith to step up and it's whether or not they can be consistent. Cause I feel like that's going to be the recipe is basically let's pack the paint and get the ball out of uh, Tatum and Jalen's hands. I think they did a very good job of like making the right read and not forcing too much stuff. Like I thought Tatum was probably, a little bit too unselfish. It's wild to say that when he took 30 field goal attempts, but I thought he was a little bit too unselfish early on. Um, but I, I, I thought the Celtics passing was generally pretty good. I mean, Tatum, all the stats are obviously inflated uh, in a double overtime game, but Tatum had four assists. Jalen had five assists um, or six assists. Marcus Smart had six assists. Schroeder came in off the bench at eight assists. So I thought I, I thought the Celtics offense did a pretty good job of moving the basketball uh, once they like were in the paint, but you're right. The Knicks kind of dared them to shoot threes. And after the first quarter, that really uh, wasn't, wasn't working out for them, uh, except like in the first overtime when everyone was making threes. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give a call right now to the audience. You can chat with us. You can, you can raise your hand. You can ask a question. You can give a reaction from last night's game. This is a brand new tool we're using here at The Athletic. Uh, so if, if you're listening to this tomorrow or whenever on Spotify, obviously it's not live. You're not allowed to raise your hand. But anyone listening to the crowd right now, you, you can come chat with us. We've got an audience right now. Ian G, my man, you are on stage. What do you got for us? Hey there, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hey there, thanks for doing this. Um, my question is about uh, Ime's coaching and whether you anything really stood out to you as something new he's bringing to the roster. You know, from watching, from my perspective, it seemed a lot like there was a lot. I, maybe I was wrong given the, the assist numbers you were just talking about, but I saw a lot of isolation, a lot of my turn, your turn. So um, I'm nervous that we're going to be in for another season of isolation, heavy basketball. So... I don't know. Was I? Did I see the wrong thing? What did you see from the new coach? I, 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 I was with you. I thought in the half court they stalled out sometimes. Uh, the ball movement wasn't always there. I think Al Horford will make that a lot better. Like, yeah, they were playing through like a lot of possessions were like, let's give the ball to Grant at the top of the key and have him really start the offense, uh, which is not ideal. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. And Al Horford, like Al Horford, is one of the best facilitators of offense among big men in the entire league. He's always a guy who has spruced up the ball movement, and th- they'll be a lot more pass happy, I think, with him in the lineup. Uh, w- one stat that really stood out to me was after you know U- Udoka stressed throughout the preseason that they have to be a, a great team in transition that. He wants them to push the pace and really capitalize on their athleticism, their speed, everything else. Like their transition offense was very, very successful. They had um, plus 8.8 points per 100 possessions, points added per 100 possessions, according to Cleaning the Glass, which would be about in the 76th percentile uh, among all games played last season. So that's really impressive. Uh, especially against a Knicks team that that has always locked up, or at least really locked up in the past, and like I said, has a lot of athletes, a lot of guys who can get back in transition. So I I thought their their transition offense was much much better than their half court offense. Like I said in the half court, I just thought things got bogged down. And I think looking at the season, as much as you stress ball movement, 
as, as much as you stress that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have to be creators, like when the the best shooter that they play with, other than Peyton Pritchard, who played 11 minutes, is probably Marcus Smart. Like that's that puts a lot of pressure on them, and and that that allows the defense to load up on them. That means that when they're kicking out, it's to guys who the other team wants with the ball in their hands at the three-point arc. And so I, I think that's been an issue from the start that has has been a possible downfall of this Celtics team. And I'm talking about downfalls. It's been after one game. But but when you when you look at the roster, like the lack of shooting can be very, very obvious at times. And especially around Tatum and Brown, like obviously they're great shooters. They're going to shoot a lot. They're going to make a lot, but the other guys need to come through and they, they did. But I just think like there's not a whole lot of skill and creation around those guys. So we'll see. And I, I didn't think they looked great when Dennis Schroeder was on the court too. I thought he forced some things. Um, I thought he kind of needs to figure out how he fits when both Tatum and Brown are there. And Brown only played one game in the preseason. Brown missed a, a bunch of practices during the preseason. So that'll probably be something that that they work on and get better at as as the regular season progresses. Yeah, I think they also like a little bit, there's more post-ups I felt like with uh, Tatum and Jalen. And I think that's just naturally going to like lead to getting the ball out of their hands. I I agree with you. I think it's it's really going to start on the defensive end. It feels like if they can get stops and get out in transition, that's when the team's going to be their most dangerous. But um, as soon as the Knicks started kind of consistently getting buckets and forcing the Celtics into half court, it really felt like uh, the Celtics offense kind of bogged down um, and then they were kind of forcing shots. But I don't know. I thought I thought Jalen and Jason like did a, again, did a pretty good job of finding their teammates. It's just uh, the shots did not fall. Uh, especially kind of in the second half uh, when the Knicks made that kind of big run. The Celtics only scored 24 points in the third quarter, which is not great. Or And uh, so I do think the offense needs to be a little bit better. We saw a bit of the uh, the Peyton Pritchard, Dennis Schroeder lineup that you have been looking forward to, Jay. I didn't really think it was amazing. Uh, it was uh, some other times when it's just when Tatum was not on the court, the offense didn't look too great. I mean, Jalen, except for Jalen's like first quarter, he really slowed down in the second uh, half. And it's like, oh, God, we're just having another like offense can't do anything without Tatum moment. But it's early. It's really hard to judge the entire Celtics offense based on this one game when they were without Al Horford and I guess without uh, Josh Richardson. But that's what we're here to do. It's called overreactions to Celtics Knicks for a reason. Yeah, I really do think Horford is going to be the key to so much of what they do offensively. He's going to make he's going to give them four legitimate post up threats in their starting lineup. He's going to be the guy that they run pick and pops with. He's going to be the guy who takes pressure off Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. He's going to be the guy that they run a lot of offense through and might be their best passer. So Horford means a lot. Horford connects the dots for this team. And when he's not out there, they're they're going to look clunkier. And I, I thought we saw some of that. And then I, I also do think like the Knicks defensively were were sharp and and they forced the Celtics to do try to do some things that they didn't want to do and and early on in the season like Jalen Brown is still learning how to have the ball in his hands as much as he does Jason Tatum 
trying to learn his his new spots. And so there there's still a lot to figure out for this Celtics team with with Ime Udoka. Um, with so many guys in and out of the lineup during preseason, like they didn't have much of a chance to develop any sort of cohesion and chemistry during the preseason. So I do think it's going to be a process. Mujib, come on in here, man. You are on stage. What do you got hey, for us? Hey, what's up, man? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. How are you? Okay. Um, I can't really hear you, but I would just say uh, shout out Celtics Town. I don't know if you remember me, but I remember you went to Summer League that oh, one time. Man. That was amazing. I, I, def- I definitely remember you down in Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> Dope, man. Um, so my question is kind of about uh, Ime Yudoka. Um, I know it's just one game and we have some, you know, kind of info with the preseason, but what kind of identity are we looking at with this team? Because I mean, I know he mentioned like that we want to play big, bit, uh, with, you know, big boy ball with uh, Tatum and Brown. But um, I felt like again, like kind of what you mentioned, the other guy mentioned that it was a lot of ISO ball. And um, again, I'm kind of worried that we're kind of headed down the same track. Even with Al Horford being out, I feel like we really need to establish an identity of uh, playing team ball and not ISO ball. So, what do you think? Yeah, though I'm with you, and I think that's going to be a process. Um, obviously, Tatum and Brown have always been scorers, and that's been their their primary function for the Celtics offensively for a long time. And you know, for the entirety of their careers, they've had basically an All Star point guard next to them. It was Isaiah Thomas. It was Kyrie Irving. It was Kemba Walker. And so this is the first year that they're really being charged with being the two guys basically fully in charge of the offense. I know we heard a lot about Marcus Smart starting at point guard and his role isn't much different. Like it's it's really Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who are having getting more of the the reps at at that spot, getting more of the opportunities with the ball in their hands. And so I think it's going to be a process. Um it's going to be something that that they don't figure out all at once. I I think the the willingness for the most part was there. Um but but the the fluidity, I guess, wasn't there all the time. And and some of that is just reps, and some of that, I think, will come with trusting each other. And some of that, like I said, I, I think Horford will help a lot. Um, but, you know, I think there will be some some bumps as as they try to get where Udoka wants them to be as 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 selfless players, as guys who facilitate ball movement and make everyone else better. Because that's the area where those two guys need to improve the most. And I don't think it's just going to happen overnight. And I think that, that some nights it'll look good. Some nights it won't look as good. Um, and, and hopefully for the Celtics, they'll get better and better at that as, as things go along. I think we're just wildly overreacting to a, a loss on the first night of the season. No, I don't think anyone would be saying, oh, too much iso ball if the Celtics found out a way to like pull that one out. I like in the first quarter, they uh, had nine assists on 13 field goals and were shot 66% from three. So I like the offense was looking pretty good then when Jalen Brown was scoring 20 points. I think like the, I think the ball movement was there. They just didn't knock down threes, uh, pretty much at, at a high rate after the first quarter. Like I think you can, you can pick out certain things at, at every game. I think it was like a, just a, uh, an all right game, a game like clearly there's things to improve upon, but I don't know. I'm not too concerned uh, about one loss uh, in the opening uh, night of the season. Like they should have just taken the tie and move on. Like I, I would have elected to do that at the end of uh, the first overtime. 
It, one other thing, since he did ask about Udoka's coaching, I find it so funny that Udoka is like just Brad Stevens, except bigger with professional athlete experience. Like, <laughs> like he, somebody asked him, you know, are, are you, it, th- did you like think about the moment last night, it being your first time? He was like, no, like, I, I don't really think about that stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm just level headed all the time. Like nothing really gets me too high or too low. And then after the game, he was just kind of perfectly calm. Like it was a crazy, crazy game, double overtime, the one of the nuttiest debuts you could ever imagine for a coach. And he was just kind of sitting there. He actually, we were in the the press room, and because the crowd, like at MSG, the you have to like the writers have to fight through the crowd to get down to the press room, and so the crowd was obviously going bonkers, and there were tons of people everywhere. So Udoka was actually waiting in the press room when a bunch of us got there. And he was just sitting there, like, looking at the box score, totally patient, like, just waiting for us, just totally calm, like, no emotions whatsoever after such a brutal loss on his first night. And it was so Brad Stevens of him that it was it was pretty funny to me just, just watching this guy who's kind of stepped in for Brad Stevens and has so many of Brad Stevens' traits. He's very much similar to Brad Stevens, but for some reason he's just, like, so much cooler uh, in being calm. Like when Brad has no emotions, it kind of feels like a robot. But when Ime, even like you probably didn't see it, but his interview on ESPN at like the first quarter break was just like cool, calm and collected. It does help that, um, you know, Nia Long is sitting courtside and you think, man, this guy, this guy has it all figured out. You just feel, you feel confident with the uh, Ime being your coach. Also, one thing he is different than Brad, way quicker to call a timeout. Uh, I think Celtics fans will no longer be able to scream about that uh, on Twitter during the games this year because it felt like he was pretty quick to take some momentum-stopping timeouts, at least in that first game. It was funny because the first timeout he took, I, I won't say which reporter was sitting next to me, but he turned to me and was like, Brad would have never taken that timeout. And I was like, yeah, probably not. Was it Bontemps? It was Bontemps. It was not Bontemps. It was not Bontemps. <laughs> it, it bon I, I can I can confirm that it was not Bontemps. Uh, I would no, it just sounded like a Bontemps. I, I probably would have shared his name if, if it had been him. It just sounded like a Bontemps voice, but, you know. But, yeah, and then knows? the other thing Ime does is is he, he like, just kind of tells you the truth. Like, like when – when he was talking about Evan Fournier's defense, he just kind of said, oh, yeah, we screwed up the coverages. <laughs> like the, Those guys, the players were being idiots out there, basically. <laughs> they, they weren't doing what I was telling them to do. Um, he said, you know, Jason Tatum, he thought was pressing a little bit. He said that there were times when Tatum played through too much of a crowd. And I feel like even though that's not the most forceful criticism, it's something that Brad kind of avoided throughout his tenure. And and maybe it'll help push those guys a little bit, maybe a little, a little fire under them. So that's something that's been continuous from the time Emi Odoka got there. And it, it continued in the, the first game of the regular season. He's not afraid to call guys out. He's not afraid to let the, the public know when his guys kind of fall short. And I, I think that's one tactic he's going to use to kind of keep guys on their toes and, and let everyone know where players need to work. I concur. It's wild that we've done 40 minutes on one basketball game already, but uh, that's the power of overreaction. The, these live rooms are awesome. Th- thank you guys all for for coming in hanging out with us. Um, we're going to be doing this a lot, sometimes after games, sometimes the day after games, sometimes just on a random day. 
where we can kind of do a, a mailbag format, but but in a live fashion. So this this is really cool. It's like having a uh, a radio show where we can just have live callers. And so I appreciate all you guys for hopping in here. If you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, wherever else, um, you can subscribe to The Athletic. You can participate in these shows if you want. And so just sign up for The Athletic through whatever link you want and follow anything as potable. Go give them hell at your uh, your pick your men's league basketball game, Jay. I'm sure you're. We've got, uh, two, we've got we've got two D1 players on my team, and they're both they're both out tonight. So it's gonna be <laughs> ugly. Well, you need the cardio, so I, I hope you get that in there. I will. I do need the cardio. <laughs> you're in charge, man. You you gotta take us out. Is my men's league potable? <laughs> and I